Well, this morning we want to spend a few moments letting the Word of God found in Isaiah chapter 61 speak to our hearts, encourage us, and also correct us perhaps in areas we need to be corrected. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The prophet says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. May God bless the reading of his word. In the musical Oliver, the lead character is a boy who finds himself living in a home for abandoned children that is ruled over by the master and his wife who work the children relentlessly and feed them very poorly. One of the opening scenes is the dining hall, a dark, musky, damp place, and the kids are eating their gruel, and Oliver finishes his, takes his bowl, and walks up to the master and holds his bowl up and says, please, sir, I want some more. And at that time, the master just goes into a tirade. More? You want more? And then, of course, it's a musical. He breaks into song, doesn't he? And he describes what happens to children who ask for more. Among those things, I always remember the line that they're thrown down a staircase without any banister, and there they're fed on cockroaches served in a canister. Can't remember the rest of the song, but anyway. Oliver learns a hard lesson. That sometimes in life, when you want more, what you get is heartache and frustration. Well, we're in the middle of a season of expectations, of asking for things. The uh, children are busy making their lists of all the things that are going to make them happy for the rest of the year. Parents (laughs) are scrambling around hoping to provide some of those, but with the knowledge that those things are probably not going to mean everlasting happiness for the children. We all have lists of what we really want. We all have a list of what we want life to give us. We all have a list of what would finally make us happy. And yet, Sometimes it seems that list can energize us, 
make us work harder to where we can go out and get those things. And other times the things are not things that can be bought with money or at least not with the money that we have. And that kind of list can bring us to heartache and despair. I'm reminded of a story of an Appalachian coal miner who came off a 12-hour shift, paid very little, walks up to his back door of his house and finds his small children sitting there looking at a Christmas catalog that had come in the mail, excitedly marking all the things that they want for Christmas. And when he saw that, he was so overcome that he grabbed the catalog, tore it into bits, and sat down and wept. Because he knew that those things would not arrive. So many of us know the feelings about wanting things that perhaps are not going to come our way. Wanting things out of life that don't just seem to be there and will never be there. The message of the Christmas season is that the problem is that sometimes it's not that we're asking for too much. Sometimes the problem is we really have our sights set too low and we're asking for too little. C.S. Lewis once wrote that our greatest human problem is not that we expect too much out of life, that we're expecting far too little. He said, we are too easily pleased with things. So today what I want us to do is to take out that list, whether it's your Christmas list or just that list that you carry in your heart and in your mind, of what you expect and want and need out of life. We want to take that out and not begin crossing things off of it. We're going to add to it. We're going to add to that list the things that God wants to give us and the things that are available because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we began by reading from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. And in Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah is looking to the future. He is looking for a time when God was going to act and he was going to do all these marvelous things. Well, the good news to us is that what was Isaiah's future is now our present. What Isaiah could only hope for, God has now said he is prepared to give. Because you see, whenever Jesus began his ministry, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, whenever Jesus coming away from his baptism, away from his temptation, whenever he started preaching the good news, he stood up in the synagogue of his hometown Nazareth and he gave his mission statement. He said, this is why I am here. This is what I'm going to do. And he began quoting Isaiah 61. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And then he begins detailing the gifts that he has come to give. The question is, 
are these things on our list of what we want? He begins by saying, I have come to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, we've got a little saying that we often throw around that only time can heal a broken heart. But the truth is that only the Lord can heal a broken heart. And all of us have suffered heartbreaks of some kind. Some of us have small heartbreaks that have come along in our life, but then most of us also have major heartbreaks as well. Jesus said, I have come to heal those. In me is the power to bring about a change in your life and a change in your heart. And therefore, if we deal with a broken heart, then we turn to him and say, Here, Lord, here is my heart. Take it and heal it. Jesus went on to say, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, there are all kinds of captivity in this world. And most of us have discovered at least one or two of those. There's the captivity of just the busyness of life that hems us in, the commitments that we have made, and we really can't seem to break out of those. There's the captivity of habits, bad habits, of addictions that begin to close in on our lives, and we fight against those wanting to move on and to live a life that really is free, a life that can enjoy once again. The Bible even mentions one captivity that is given to all of us or that we all live under in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, where the Hebrew, Hebrews writer is referring to what Jesus came to do. He said, I, have came to, I came to free those who live all their lives held in sla slavery by the fear of death. You know, all of us have the parameters of our life defined by death. And for those of us who have lived what we probably would recognize the majority of our lives, there's something inside of us that says, that's good, but I'd like to have more. Jesus came to say, I can give you more. I can break the bonds of captivity and set the prisoner free. He goes on to say, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's technical language. That also is redescribed in the Bible as the year of Jubilee. Does anyone know what the year of Jubilee was supposed to be? It never was, as far as we know, fully carried out. But it was the 50th year in, in Israel's history. Every 50th year, all debts were to be canceled. That if that were still happening today, that meant every 50th year you could take that credit card statement and tear it up. You could take that car note and tear it up. You could take that mortgage and tear it up and throw it away and start all over again. Well, of course, Jesus didn't come to pay our credit card debt. He did come to say, don't get into credit card debt, okay? He didn't come to pay our mortgage or to pay our auto loan. He came to pay a debt far greater than that. The debt that we owe our God because of our frailties, 
because of our mistakes, because of our bad decisions, because of our sins. And he said, I've come to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor, of his grace, of his mercy. And those of us who feel that we can't move on because of some guilty feeling that we have of all that we haven't been or the things that we've done, Jesus says, I've come to give you a gift. We're just going to wipe all that out. And we're going to start over again. Jesus went on to say, I came to proclaim the day of God's vengeance. We may think, well, I don't want that. But really, the way the Bible describes the day of the Lord and the day of His vengeance is His coming to set right all the things that are wrong. Does anyone know anything that's wrong in this world? Has anyone ever been frustrated by something that's just plain wrong? That shouldn't happen. Well, Jesus' ministry was the beginning of the correction. His death, His burial, His resurrection set it all into motion. And one day, it will all be made right. But even now, He has decided that He will treat you justly and fairly and bring equality and dignity and respect into your life. He goes on to say that I've come to comfort those who mourn by being a presence with them. The one who is, this one is so important, he goes ahead and gives some details of what he's talking about. He says, instead of ashes on the head, I will give them a garland to wear. Instead of mourning, I will bathe them in the oil of gladness. Instead of a weak and fainting spirit, I will give them a mantle of praise. And they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a wonderful garden that has been planted to display the glory of the Lord. If you have not yet been in mourning in your life, just wait. If you live long enough, you will mourn. And Jesus said, I have come to be a strength in your mourning, to pick you back up, to hold you close to me, and to put my spirit within you so that you may hold your head up once again. And then he ends, in the chapter verse 4 of, of, of Isaiah is really, out of all these marvelous gifts, I think it's one that, that really makes me stop and take a step back and say, wow. Because what the prophet is saying and what Jesus then proclaims is his mission as well. He says, I have come to repair the devastation of past generations. If you've ever worked in counseling of any kind or been around counseling, you recognize that so much what people deal with was handed down to them by grandparents and parents and family. Sometimes I have people describe to me the situation they grew up in, and I think, wow, how did you even make it to this point with that kind of stuff going on in your family? Jesus said, I'm the one that can repair that. I'm the one that can make that right. I'm the one that can give you my spirit, my support, my help. So that you can become the beginning of a new generation for your family. Aren't these wonderful gifts? Wow. Were any of these on our list? Right under a new sports shirt. <laughs> PlayStation. What are we up to PlayStation? Four now? I don't know. 
Those things aren't going to make us happy. And if we think they will, we're far too easily pleased. This holiday season, let's ask for the things that Jesus says I came to give. Therefore, receiving what we really need. But one more thing before we go. The interesting thing is that when we come to Jesus and open our arms to receive the gifts that he wants to give us, he embraces us as his child and he puts within us his spirit so that we may go from there and say like he said, now the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to do these things as well. And isn't it interesting that this list of wants through the power of Jesus becomes our shopping list. It becomes the list of things that we go out to do. And yes, Christmas is a time to receive, but oh, it's a time to give. And if we want to give gifts that really matter in people's lives, then through the power of the Spirit that now lives and resides in us, then we go out to do these same things. In our limited power, but blessed by the power of God, we go to the brokenhearted to help them mend their broken hearts. We go and proclaim liberty to those who are captive and help them to escape the bonds that are holding them in. We go out and we forgive the debts that people owe against us. We forgive the hurts We forgive the wrongs. We forgive all the tension that's crept into family and friends. And we put that aside and say, this is the year of the Lord's favor. It's over. We're starting anew. We go out and we bring fairness and justice into people's lives. People who are pushed down and oppressed and abused by the system. We stand there and say, but we will treat you right We will treat you with dignity. We will treat you with the respect that you deserve as a creation of God. We go out and offer comfort to those who are sad. And we go out and repair the devastation of past generations. And that one really, again, kind of brings me up short. And I think, how do we do that? Well, we help others who have suffered through years and years of family life that's chaotic and We try to help them get their feet under them and going again. But I think one of the greatest things we do, we give that gift to our children and to our grandchildren and to our great-grandchildren. And even though we'll probably never even see our great-great-grandchildren, few of us do, we can give them the present of having someone in the family that loved God and loved others and taught them faithfulness and righteousness so that when they look back they can say I have a goodly heritage look at my family what a blessing it is to ask for the right things let's go and in this season let's raise our expectations let's hold up our bowl to God and say please sir I want some more Let's stand and sing.